Hey, it's me. Uh, we had issues with this episode. As you know, when I start out the episode, that's usually the case. Uh, I had a possible gas leak in my house, and my wife and child and I vacated the premises and called 911 and stuff. And that happened, like, uh, right after somebody hit the goal page. So I just told the boys, like, finish up the episode. It'll be fine. And then I'll try to piece it together. And I tried to do that, but the ending, I'm not in it. And there's a little, there's a few cuts that might not make the most sense, but uh, I, I appreciate you you being gracious to us uh, ahead of time. And uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, here's the episode. I clicked on color space, and there's a graph here that's something like an eldritch horror that I can't describe. <laughs> I look, and I have to not look at Stop it. Stop looking on. at it. Welcome to We Should Know Better, the podcast where we hitchhike through Wikipedia. I am Sky. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Cool. What we're going to do tonight, we are going from one Wikipedia page to another page by only clicking links within the pages. And you guys are going to be racing to get from board game to rainbow. Oh, boy. So, so subtle. (laughs) Just I mean, this. to be fair, Scott, I actually I'm came glad. up with this game two weeks ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> not, not when it's Pride Month. Not when it was International Tabletop Day. But and it just happened. It actually yeah. just worked out. Yeah? Yeah. I'm, I'm proud of you, Sky. Happy Pride Month, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. My present to all my queer friends is me not co-opting Pride Month as <laughs> a straight cis man. <laughs> so I'm just gonna say y'all just do it good have fun and I'll be over here uh, just also having fun you're allowed to have your fun team. yeah it's just mm-hmm. I'll be uh, there I'll, I'll, as, I'll, as, the, as the LGBT uh, rep on this podcast uh, I'll, I will say thank you on behalf of everyone. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna shoulder that for there us. There you today. go. You shoulder that. Yep. As a, mm-hmm. as a white LGBT person, I usually, you know, like we are known for doing that exact thing. So great. Gonna live up to that role. But, uh, either way, uh, thanks. Yeah. That's, that's, nope. that's very kind of you guys. No, no problem. <laughs> uh, so what we're going to do for this game, it's going to be a little unorthodox to like figure out who goes first. Okay. Uh, I have, I man, I gotta like write down my descriptions for my games because I realize every time I start, very often I'll start like, like, all right, here's the game, and like I don't know how to describe what I'm about <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> so what I've done is I have here seven different things related to board games, either like pieces or parts of logos of popular board games. Okay. Um. And each one represents a color of the rainbow. I am going to give you guys this list, and I want you to reorder it in <laughs> in the what? order of the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, I wish I should have had an example, but you know how you know, like the order of the rainbow. One, I was like, do I give them the order of the rainbow, or do I just like they have to? That's part of the game is that they have to remember the order of the colors of a rainbow. 
And I'm kind of going with the second one. Okay. Is that cool with you, or are you guys like, nah, just give us, just give us the order of the colors? No, I, I mean, remember the order. Yeah, okay. I can do it. I figured you guys did. You guys are yeah. both both smart boys. Me, I would be <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> um, I, but see, but the thing is, like, as you say that, I'm gonna be like, we get into this. I'm like, oh yeah, I can do this and get in here. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. So um, here's what I'm gonna do. Magenta. Magenta. That was the one I was actually going to do as an example. Periwinkle. Periwinkle. So I'm going to give you these. There's seven things in this list. Okay. I almost put it in the wrong Discord chat. <laughs> that would have been this very been, confusing. Imagine this just going into the Jolly Cooperation Discord. <laughs> very good. Um. So as you guys look through this list, so like basically you need to take these and oh, reorder no. them. So I had these. I you know I picked one for each mad. color. And then I, I went into a randomizer online, and it, it's a completely random order that they're in. So you guys, while I'm explaining what these things are to our listeners, go ahead and like just, you know, you can copy-paste them to get the order that you want. And then once you have it, like, we'll just do a 3-2-1. You guys can submit them at the same time, and then we'll go over them. All right, well, this is going to take me a second, so you yeah. have to vamp. Yes. So these were actually very hard. I was like, oh, this will be great. There's so many colors in board games. I'm just going to do it. And then I realized, yeah, but the colors are like pieces. And like it's like, what color is a piece of like the sorry, uh, you know, yeah. token? And it's like, well, there's four. <laughs> and then there's also like, oh, I'll do the first, um, the first square on the Candyland board. Oh, every every one of them is different. <laughs> <laughs> Every rendition of, of Candyland has a different one. Wait, are you so, serious? Yeah, I was like, okay, I was just like, and I'm like looking at pictures on Google, and like each one's like, oh, this one starts on yellow, this one starts on red. Like, I figured it would be standard, but it's not. Yeah. I figured it would just go through the colors in order, but it doesn't. Uh, like the, the rainbow colors, but um, listeners, here's what we've got that they're they're organizing here. Um, they've got the color of the U in the logo of most Clue games. And see, I also had to do a lot of a lot of most and traditional and original. Um, the color of the man's eye on the traditional categories logo, the traditional color of perfection pieces, the color of the African countries in most risk games, the color of the glove and boot in most mousetrap games, the color of the L in the logo of the game of life. The color of the Mediterranean and Baltic Avenue properties in Monopoly. Mm. So each one of those represents a different color of the rainbow. And they're going to order okay. them in the color of the rainbow. And that's the what... thing is, like, I know what some of them are. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of figure that that would be kind of how you can I you can slot them in. I feel like I know what some of them are, but I'm not confident. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know what this one is, and I know. Do you, Kyle? Yes. Do uh, you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, why would you I'm ask me to? I'm yes. doubt. Oh, oh, well. Uh, then, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Okay, I, I think I'm ready. I mean, it's, it's as good yeah. as it's going to get. You're going to have to give me one more second. Yeah, no problem. I'll, cu- uh, I'll cut this down, so. Yeah. It's this way. Let's see. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mostly... Think this is it? Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready when you are, Tim. Uh, I'm ready. All right, three, two, one, go. Post them. Let's see them. 
All right. So, oh, sorry. I didn't write down the actual letters. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. All right. Here we go. The first color is red in the rainbow. Mm-hmm. And that's the color of the U in the logo of most Clue games. Oh, you no. both went with the traditional Scategories logo. And Scategories is so, like, red dominant that I can see why you'd go, you'd go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the next color is O for orange. <laughs> the next color is O for orange. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. it's, the, it's the color of the African countries in Risk. Yeah. Yeah. I hate Risk. Uh, I hate it too, but I remember that thing. Kyle, from a traumatizing uh, game, Kyle. Yep. <laughs> Kyle, remember that. So Kyle's got one point. Uh, yellow is the traditional color of perfection pieces, and you both got that one, right? Yeah. Again, traumatizing, but yes. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't know. I think I might have played it once at like my cousin, other cousin's house. Uh, it was one of the things that they made us do in like the advanced, uh, like like downtime, and, mm. and when I was in school, and you know, like they have you do like uh, like those seat arrangement puzzles and things like like deduction puzzles. Oh yeah, and perfection. Right. Yeah. Uh, the next color is green. Uh, that's the color of the glove and boot in most mousetrap games. Oh, no. What? Both of you said the color of the U and the logo of most Clue games. Yeah, I associate Which green must... with Clue a lot. Yeah. Maybe there was a, a box that you guys, like, you both you both had. That... Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, I looked I looked through a bunch, and, like, yeah, it was usually red, or it wasn't colored, or, like, the whole logo was colored. Yeah, um, I, I believe color. you. Um, all right, and the next is blue. Um, that's the color of the head's eye on the traditional categories logo. Dang. Uh, yeah. Um, and then, so neither you got that one, but then there's, uh, I, which is the color of the Mediterranean and Baltic Avenue properties in Monopoly. What? I, I is for Indigo. Indigo, yeah. Did they really right. call it Indigo? Yeah. Oh, yep. come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> i know indigo and indigo and, and violet are so like close they're very close um but i like look it's like in the official like wiki okay. it's like yeah i searched for like the monopoly indigo property and that's that's the that's that okay. one and then v is uh the color of the l in the logo of the game of life i i really i see i got them backward too then yeah because i it, both tim and i did oh well I mean, we both guessed wrong on that, but I figured that the L in the game of life, I, I remembered it having like a softer color and I was mm. like, I don't know what shade it's of blue it is. Very, very bright, like pink. Almost. Well, I mean, it's not, it wasn't like uh like a very warm, like red, like, I don't know. Right, right, right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like a very, a very bright purplish pink. Okay. Um, all right. Well, Kyle, thank God you got one right. <laughs> we can call this well, game done. But... See, I I'm really up. The only one that I'm upset about is the mousetrap games. Like I was certain those were blue, but um, I, I I mean they. Yeah. The thing is, there like I think what's happening is like there is there is like a color <laughs> that's you're so you're associating with the game, and that yeah actually makes sense because all the like the framework of the pieces were blue. You know um, what I mean? Like the things that the things I'm, sat on were all like blue. I'm just upset yeah, that Kyle won because of risk. 
Uh, what a and great it's because game. I took one. This, this good, good board game. All mm. right, let's talk about some board so games, bad. guys. Some better ones. Um, yeah. So, I'm sorry again. What exactly are, is the gold again? Uh, just have fun. Oh no, I mean the gold destination. <laughs> uh, Rainbow, <laughs> which Rainbow. I think we've okay. been to before, but it hasn't been a. I don't think it's been a, a destination or a starting. I actually don't know that we have. Yeah, but we might have um, talked about it in the hologram. Oh yeah, there's like a did. rainbow hologram page, and like yeah. I think that might have been where. Oh yeah, I remember that. Get back to Master Hologram. Yeah. Oh, there's like that time. creepy hologram. Yeah, that's the one, the Tasmanian, the yeah. uh, Tasmanian yeah. Devil or, or D- Tasmanian Wolf. Yeah, the one yeah. that was like this that gave exist you nightmares. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Bad. Okay, so a board game. Guys, if you uh, listeners, if you want to know about that, it's in one of our past episodes. It's pretty funny. Uh, Sky had a bad reaction to a hologram <laughs> on one of these pages. Um, yes, okay, a board game is a table. Oh, it's the it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one. I remember the episode we talked about that. Uh, is a tabletop game that occur that involves counters or pieces moved or placed on a pre-marked surface or quote board. End quote. Board. According to a set of rules. Why does it have... Why the Why the quote? Like, hmm. it is a literal board. It's cardboard. Like, it, it, it could not get more literal board. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, That's I'm what sorry, most people say about board games. <laughs> you just can't get more literal board. <laughs> Some games are based on pure strategy. But many contain an element of chance, actual games, uh, and some are purely chance with no element element of skill. That's life. Yeah, bring it on. Uh, games usually have a goal that that a player aims to achieve. Oh, hmm. Do I know of a board game that doesn't have a goal? The ungame. Player... Okay. Uh, oh, you mean oh, uh, uh, Cards Against Humanity? Got it. Uh, early board games uh, represented a battle between two armies. And what? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> Hold sure. on. Specifically, that feels. Mm. Oh, Sky. Sky, so help me. Oh, Sky. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. How I mean, could you? Uh, you know what, Sky? I I, I do want to I do want to mention that this has preceded me in real life with friends <laughs> who have heard this podcast because uh, even today. Uh, when we were at when we were at the Godzilla movie, my friend leaned over to me and was like, uh, "Oh, oh, we, they were talking about how humanity has you know destroyed the Earth for thousands of years, and uh, we we're talking." And he mentioned you know even going back to Roman civilization. I'm like, "So help me." There you go. Uh, they they know everyone knows now. Um, <laughs> I guess if there's a thing that I have to be known for. Um, okay, so early board games represented a battle between two armies, according to Wikipedia, and no one else. Uh, and most modern board games are still based on defeating opponents in terms of counters, winning position, or accrual of points. Again, according to Wikipedia. Not all games are like that. And I guess, okay, the most modern board games, I suppose, gives them the caveat there. Anyway, there are many varieties of board games, period, end of sentence, and that's the end of the, and that's the, end of the article, guys. That's it. There's a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty much uh, it. Their representation... Wow, this is a... Their representation of real-life situations can range from having no inherent theme, like checkers, 
to having a specific theme and narrative like Cluedo. Yeah. Solve the murder. Meritrash. Uh, rules can <laughs> Cluedo be is range... not a Meritrash. <laughs> I know. Rules can range from the very simple like tic-tac-toe to those describing a game universe in great detail like Dungeons and Dragons? Is that a book? Yes, Although... this is very funny. Although most of the latter are role-playing games where the board is secondary to the game, helping to help serving to help visualize the game scenario. The game scenario. The game scenario. I mean, we just all three of us, can we just take a second and just do our most pretentious game scenario on three? One, two, three. The game, game scenario. scenario. Very good. Uh, the time required to learn and play or master a game varies greatly from game to game, but is not necessarily right, correlated nerds. with the number. Yeah, we get it. We're, you're here. Oh Everyone my gosh. who likes board games is here writing about this art. I get it. You're also With the number of complexity article. of rules. Games like chess or Go possess relatively simple rule sets, but have great strategic depth. Sure. Okay. Anyway. Uh yeah, we're gonna I'm not I'm skipping this entire thing about ancient board games because you guys know. You know, you know what it's gonna say. You know exactly what it's gonna say. I don't even care. I mean the Egyptians are here. Yes, they, that's they got true. to it first. That's very nice. Uh, and I did actually, I do remember we went to a, uh, like a, an Egyptian um, art, inst- uh, like uh, like ancient art uh, 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 exhibit. Uh, and they had actually set out like uh, a set of this game that they call Senate. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Senate. Um, they actually set out S-E-N-E-T. like a, a, a version or like a board of it so that you could play with what people are assuming the rules are. Yeah, it plays a lot like backgammon, uh, and it was fun actually. Like it was, it was really kind of challenging and a good time. Uh, I like this anyway. Hound and Jackals game that looks like the Peg game from Cracker Barrel, except it's got <laughs> little dog heads on it looking it in different cute. directions. It's very yeah. good that they're not looking in the same direction, and it also <laughs> has little feet. Like this is just a little animal. It oh just, no, I didn't. It's got little hooves, and it has a bunch of heads looking in different directions. And I did not see the feats before. The feats are good, yeah. That's That seems important. Oh, that, that's wonderful. Thank you for pointing that out. The, I clicked on the... Well, I actually shouldn't tell you that I clicked on there. Never mind. I'm not going to tell you anything <laughs> <Uh-oh>. about this. <laughs> oh, uh, Tim, we know Sky clicked on something. I'm just saying. <laughs> um... So anyway, uh, this is a weird way to lead into this, but I'm going to skip down to the United States portion here. So uh, in 17th and 18th century colonial, yeah, colonial America, the agrarian life of the country left little time for game playing through drafts, uh, bowling, and card games. Yeah. Oh, though drafts, uh, bowling, and card games were not unknown. The pilgrims and Puritans of New England frowned upon game playing and viewed dice as instruments of the devil. When the gover- governor William Bradford discovered a group of non-Puritans playing stool ball, pitching the bar, and pursuing other sports, guys, those names—I just—in <laughs> the streets on Christmas Day, I can see why he thought they were bad and of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Name he confiscated, better. yeah, he confiscated their implements, reprimanded them, and told them. Their devotion for the day should be confined to their homes. Uh, could it also ju- just be that he just hated Christmas? I think that's really what it comes down to. Like, yeah, a Grinchy yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. There. 
Um, yeah, those names, guys. Who who was out there naming games back in the 17th and 18th century? Uh, I mean, you're uh, out there like just oh uh, yeah, you're going for a couple rounds of just just pitching the bar out there. Oh yeah, what you, what what are you uh what are you and William out there going doing 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 today? Uh, I I don't know. We may just do a couple rounds of pitching the bar. You know. It is weird to me that like board games, most of them could have been made like a hundred years ago, but they just weren't made because everyone was farming. I mean, yes, but also like, would we know if they had like you'd have to have kept, like there was no easy way to print a lot of these things too. Yeah, I guess the printing would be tough. Yeah, and without the internet, finding out if people actually wanted this game. Exactly. Yeah, I. Don't know. I yeah, I don't know. But yeah, the concept of, of a, any particular game could have existed hundreds of years ago, yes. Right. Um, and again, again, without citation, the earliest board games published in the United States were based upon Christian morality. Uh, oh the Mansion boy. of Happiness. What's that? I said, oh boy. Yeah. The Mansion of Happiness, for example, sent players along a path of virtues and vices that led them to the Mansion of Happiness or Heaven. That's cited. Oh, good. The thing that I can plainly see on this on this page is cited, but mm-hmm. just the out the out and out you know uh, claim that the earliest board games were all based on that not cited not important. Uh, oh goodness. Okay, I'm just gonna skip ahead a little bit. Let's see. American Protestants believed a virtuous life led to success, but the belief was challenged mid-century. But when the country embraced materialism and capital, is this someone's like? Uh, like doctorate like someone is someone yeah. putting a thesis together here there i mean how many there's so many college students who put theses together on board games yeah you're probably right um okay let's see uh luck ba- talking about luck strategy and diplomacy uh many games require some level of both skill and luck a, p- a player may be hampered by bad luck and backgammon monopoly or, or risk but over many games, a skilled player will win more often. That's cited. Somebody they do. Has. They do have monopoly tournaments. Hang on a second. I'm I'm click I'm clicking this citation. It goes to a page by by Phil Simborg from 2006, uh, and he says that uh, much has been said and written about the luck versus skill in backgammon, and I have heard many different opinions. But I want to give you not only mine, but what most of the top players in the in the game I have talked to believe. Backgammon is a game of skill, and the more skill you have, the more likely you are to win. That is proven time and time again in tournaments and match results, but it is proven only in the long run. Uh, Phil, that sounds to me like the excuse of someone who is losing a lot. <laughs> I'm oh. going to win in the long run because I'm no, I'm more skilled. I'm just running into some bad luck. Uh, okay. Anyway. Whatever. Uh, cooperative games gets one line in here about mm-hmm. cooperative games being the exception to negotiating rules. Uh, negotiating games. Uh, other media. Yeah. Oh, the market is, is making a comeback, according to The Guardian. Thank you. Good to know. Of course. It's a, it gl- it's a golden era. It's uh, getting very saturated. Do you, see the, do you see the graph? Yeah, what? Where was the graph? It's only to so, 2014 as well, right? Yeah, it's probably up there. Anyway, I'm not clicking on any of these things here. I'm going, uh, going straight to uh, Cluedo, and uh, 
not passing go, I suppose. Not collecting 200. Cluedo. Yep. So, uh... The most LGBT game of them all. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I just like there's a picture of, of, looks like Navy shipmen playing Monopoly. That is very good. Yeah. With, like, their kids? Mm-hmm. Sure. Someone's kids. Someone's kids. Let's see here. Is there anything that we didn't go over? I don't. I don't think so. So I am going to go to a fun game called Chromolithography. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! It is not their kids, by the way. What is it? Somebody say? else's kids. Uh, they're playing. Uh, these are personnel specialists, second class James Val and. Boatswain's mate, second class Nathaniel Eaton, uh, assigned to Navy Operational Support Center Rochester, play board games with children at the Cameron Community Ministries during uh, Rochester Navy Week. Very good. Um, so, uh, why aren't they playing Battleship? I because <laughs> that's I... you don't want to play your job, dude. That's true. When you get home, the last thing you want to do is play Battleship. <laughs> uh-huh. I've been sinking battleships all day. Can you? Can we not play battleships? Yeah. All right. Hey, hey, Dad, can we play corporate chill? <laughs> uh, I don't know. No, honey. We're on, we're on clue. Uh, no. So chromolithography yeah. is a method of uh, nope. printmaking. Hey. Uh, yeah, that's no, fine. Hey, Tim. Yeah. He's just letting us know, I think. I don't think yeah. he's oh, getting okay. into his page. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I'm not we're... on the page. I'm just explaining Why what the he's... heck I'm clicking on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you were and just very excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, it Clue was just a way Clue. to make board games uh, for cheaper, so that's why it's on there, and that's why I'm going to it. Nice. And associated with so, colors. Mm-hmm. Look at that red U. See, I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping it would prove you wrong. <laughs> uh, Cluedo, first known as Clu- or n- not first known, known as Clue in North America, is a murder mystery game for three to six players, devised by Anthony Pratt. From Birmingham, New Eng- or England, not New England. Why am I putting everything in the U.S.? Uh, well, it, it, is a, it is a thing of the U.S. The, the game was first manufactured by Waddington's. Am I reading that right? Yep. In the U.K. Mm-hmm. in 1949? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, what's wrong with Waddington's? Uh, it's been relaunched and updated several times and is currently owned and published by, in the, by the American game and toy company Hasbro. The object of the game is to determine who murdered the game's victim. Oh, I didn't realize I had a different name in, in the UK. Dr. Black in the UK version and Mr. Body oh, yeah. in mm-hmm. the North American version. I, I always appreciated that it was Mr. Body. I thought that was pretty funny. You can see why um, they didn't make it Dr. Black yep, in the US. I, can, I got it. <laughs> yep. Uh, where the crime took place and which weapon was used. Uh, each player assumes the role of one of six suspects and attempts to deduce the correct answer by strategically moving around a board game, a game board, and... <laughs> representing the uh just move around the board game just walk around yeah, just move bunch. this board game just shift it over there knock it off the table like a cat <laughs> well i mean you would still figure it out though like you would uncover the cards by accident somehow uh representing the rooms of a mansion and collecting clues about the circumstances of the murder from the other players i like that it mentions here numerous book games a film which is linked and a musical Ooh. Uh, none of the rest of that is linked. Only the film is linked. Yeah, that's all you need. Uh, has been released as part. Not even the musical, though. 
uh, has been released as part of the Cluedo franchise. Spinoffs have been released featuring various extra characters, weapons, rooms, or different gameplay, uh, including one in which you are children trying to solve an art an art uh, heist, which I thought was hilarious as a kid. Yeah, I think uh, I because that one. you know, because kids can't know about murder, so it's all about who stole this this painting. Anyway, uh, let's see. Um, so here's the thing. Wait, what? Uh, in by 2016. Here's a weird, a weird note. Hasbro launched the current standard version of the game with the first new original character in more than 67 years, Doctor Orchid. Yep. That's it. That's the entire description there. Nothing else on that. Well, more, probably not much more. I that. actually know a little bit more about her. What? Oh. <laughs> uh, in the story, if I'm remembering correctly, she is technically Mr. Body's adopted daughter. Oh boy. Damn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she went on to become a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's how, I mean, what a way to That's start. That's all I know. Sorry. <laughs> oh, they replaced her, replaced Mrs. White with her. Yes. So that you don't have them. You don't have to. Yeah. Okay. I guess. Uh, yeah. In 1944, uh, an English musician applied and for also, a of his invention. Yeah, oh, sorry. She's a, fir- she's a female scientist, which makes her the first of the game's female characters to have an official p- profession outside of the home. Uh, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Okay, so actually, here's here's the official backstory. I'm sorry, this is worth oh. it. The adopted <laughs> daughter of the game's mansion owner, Samuel Black, Orchid was expelled from a fancy Swiss boarding school after a near-fatal daffodil poisoning incident. What? Then Mrs. Wait. White herself homeschooled Orchid, who went on to get her PhD in plant toxicology. So did she poison a daffodil or did she poison someone with a daffodil? It doesn't say. Hmm. Hmm. The macaroni incident. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. So in the original game, it called for 10 characters. It said one of whom was de- designated to be the victim, which seems, uh, I, I, you know, that that's an interesting way to do it. Uh, the mm-hmm. 10 characters included the eliminated Mr. Brown, Mr. Gold, Miss Gray, and Mrs. Silver. Uh, the characters of Nurse White and Colonel Yellow were renamed. It does not say why. I, I, I want to know why. <laughs> I've always wondered why they aren't just named a thing. Yeah. Um, the game allows for uh, play of up to eight remaining characters, nine suspects in total. Originally, there were 11 rooms, which seems excessive. It's a lot uh, of rooms. In- Including the eliminated gun room and the cellar, uh, one of which makes an appearance in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were also other weapons, including the bomb, syringe, shillelagh, fireplace poker, and wow. the later used axe and poison. That's like a four-hour clue game. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. they looked over at Monopoly and they're like, look, these guys, are they they get it. Yeah. This uh, they know popular. how to make these. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> They know how to make this last an entire weekend. Um, yeah, so anyway. Uh, so the methodology used in the early versions of Cluedo is remarkably similar to a traditional, if little known, American card game called The King of Hearts Has Five Sons. Oh. That's it. That They don't, again, explain this at all. I, I Okay. I want to know about this game. 
but also like what? Uh, however, Parler himself said that his inspiration was a murder mystery parlor game which he used to play with his friends where youngsters would congregate in each other's homes for parties at weekends. We'd play a stupid game called Murder where guests crept up on each other in corridors and the victim would shriek and fall on the floor. Sir, that is an actual crime. Mm-hmm. That is a, that is an actual assault. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, The country house uh, mystery was a popular subgenre of cozy quote english detective fiction in the 1920s and 30s set in a res- sent set in a residence where the of the gentry isolated by a snowstorm or similar and the suspects of a weekend house party oh boy whoa wait wow it was originally marketed as the new great detect a great new detective game and quickly made a deal to license the great the great new sherlock holmes game from the sir arthur conan doyle estate um Wow. And it, it was... Holmes stayed in the advertising, or rather referencing Sherlock Holmes staying in the adverti- stayed in the advertising until 1950. Hmm. And it didn't actually just become the detective game, the Parker Brothers detective game until the 60s. Wow, that's amazing. Um, they do... They... Through the marketing did uh, continue to bring in Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Sure. And then in uh, 1979, they brought in uh, a bumbling inspector or resembling a bumbling a detective resembling and bumbling Inspector Clouseau from the popular Pink Panther film franchise to look for clues. That's pretty oh, good. Good. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, let's see. Oh, in the 1980s, as in the U.S., Sherlock Holmes also appeared in the TV advertising at the time, along with classic detectives. Such as Sam Spade, you know, that other, that character that kids should definitely know about and has nothing that kids, that would be harmful, harmful to children. (laughs) He definitely does not, there's not an alcoholic. Um, Okay, well, the thing that I came here for was that all of the characters are named after colors. Their colors, yep. And I was hoping that the color itself or like there would be some reference to the fact that there would be like oh yeah they're all named after colors and i'd be able to click color <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and color would get me to rainbow uh that is not the case there are no no links to the actual characters uh through color i could do see the thing is the the characters of Nurse White and Colonel Yellow are linked. Those two are linked. Nothing else really is linked as far as that goes. But I let's see. Is there anything else on this page that could get me closer to Rainbow? Mm-hmm. Um, my grandma had an edition of Clue that was like the mansion caper the great museum caper <laughs> yes and that game ruled that was, fun. was like yeah one player would like it was like a hidden not a hidden role game but it was like one player was was this thief that was running around trying to like steal stuff from the museum mm-hmm. and the other ones were trying to catch him mm. that was neat that was like my first like actual board game or you know what i mean like a board game that was not just like clue or categories or something yeah 
It was neat. I also had a clue for PC when I was a kid. And when you made an accusation, it would like show the person oh, hitting. That was something. so rad. What? That was so rad. Yeah. And I remember when you when it was like, oh, it's the rope. Mm-hmm. Instead of like, oh, they 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 hanged them. Oh they just, my gosh! Like, bashed them with well, the rope. No, yeah, there was like a few of them would would hang like Mister Body. Mrs. White oh, yeah. would tie the end of the rope into like a knot and oh, yeah, swing yeah. Like, it wha- yeah. and slam them with it. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. That stuck with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. So you don't forget yeah. that. I yeah. saw, like a, like Professor Plum, like he had the, with like if you accuse him of using the revolver. Yeah. He's just like fiddling with the gun and it accidentally goes off. Oh, good. And he's just like, oh. <laughs> Oops. I did a murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did a murder. Um, I, I I know you've been trying to buy me some time, but I do not know what I'm going to click. There, there's really nothing else on here that that ha- well, actually, hmm. Uh, Parcheesi is on here, and it <laughs> also has colors on its like, but yeah. I don't think that's going to do any like. It's not a specific part of that game, right? Um, here's a thing that I, I, I am a little bit intrigued with, and I don't know if it would get me closer, but he is an artist. Uh, Drew Sturzen provided artwork for the game, which originally was created, which was originally created for the U.S. 1996 edition and additionally used for the limited gift edition. But like the, the same artist apparently has been used for a while in the, in the series. Oh, cool. I, I might click on him because at least he's connected to art. Um, it's just connected to color and something. I, I don't know. You know what? I'm going to do it. Click and, it's been a while since we clicked on a person. Uh, so I'm going to do that. I'm clicking Drew Sturzen. Control F Drew. Yep. There you go. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Tim, we're looking at chromolithography. Chromolithography, a unique method for making color prints. Yeah. Is this Part of the dots? history of printing. Which there's a timeline for the history of printing on this page. And it goes from <laughs> woodblock printing at 200 to solid ink printing at 1986. Making stops at inkjet and laser <laughs> printing in the 60s. Which I actually did not think it went back that far. Wow. I mean, to 200. You know that they're putting that squarely in the middle of the Roman Empire. That's... That's mm. mm-hmm. okay. Uh, when chromolithography is used to re- reproduce photographs, the term photochrome is re- frequently used. Photochrome. Lithographers sought to find a way to print on flat surfaces with use of chemicals instead of raised relief or recessed intaglio techniques. I don't know what that is. Wow. Uh, I I used to. I don't remember what it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, chromolithography is a chemical process based on the rejection of grease by water. Uh, images applied to stone, grained zinc, or aluminum surfaces with a grease-based crayon or ink. Limestone and zinc are two commonly used materials in the production, uh, as aluminum unfortunately corrodes easily. 
After the image is drawn onto one of these surfaces, the image is gummed up with gum arabic solution and weak nitric acid to desensitize the surface. Or mm. they just show it doom uh, for hours, and that desensitizes anyone. Uh, before printing, <laughs> the image is proved <laughs> before finally inking up the image with oil-based transfer or printing ink. The inked image under pressure is transposed onto a sheet of paper using a flatbed press. That's the direct form. Man. And then there's an offset form, but the it's, it sounds complicated. <laughs> uh, so there was an opposition to this method originally. Uh, even oh, though really? chromolithographs served many uses within society at the time, many were opposed to the idea of them because of their perceived lack of authenticity. The new forms sure. of art were sometimes tagged as bad art because of their deceptive <laughs> qualities. Some also oh, felt geez. that it could not serve as a form of art at all since it was too mechanical and that the true spirit of a painter cannot be captured in a printed version of a work. Goodness. Uh, over time, so so if you... <laughs> they, they is, were this, is this the to same by kind people... of people that think that if you take a photo, it captures part of their soul? Yeah, basically. Yeah. We want, the yeah. artist wants to put part of their soul into their painting, <laughs> but they don't want it just sort of frittered away in photographs. I hope you understand. Mm. Excuse me, you took the part of my soul that I was really going to make a landscape with this week. I really need that back. <laughs> need that back, please. <laughs> please. Spe- speaking of painters, I shared an image of uh, this painting called Lover Duty, <laughs> which is a chromiolithograph by Gabriel Casta- Castanol- Castanola? Sure. 1873. And it depicts a painter and a nun, and he's painted a family, and it says here that the family is symbolic of what he offers her should she break her vows. And this is just great, because she's just looking at the viewer with, like, the most, like, <laughs> can you believe this guy? It's a very, it's a very office style. Yeah, like, yes. this is Pam looking at in. the camera. Yeah. And this and guy's, I, like, I, looking up at her, like, eh, eh, get it? Do you get I it? Very and much appreciate even... that she's just got her hand on him, like no, no, no. Like, There's also one of the children in the painting is kind of like, yeah, can you believe this guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, he's like looking, oh, looking cool. at the looking at the the viewer too. It's a it's a it's a you know a really big move to bring that that portrait that he did right there, like this this canvas painted here, into I I'm assuming like an art or like uh, it's like a it's at least a part of the church where they have a lot yeah. of actual art in the background it's the what is it, the stages of the cross yeah yeah and he's like yeah this is cool and all but what you want really is this this is also good because the stage of the cross they're showing is like when the stone is rolled away and like it's the women that see it first, right? And then they go get the men. Oh, dang! You're and right. Like, this this is kind of like the men be like, "Oh, cool, gonna write about, gonna make this a thing." And the, one of the women is just like, also looks kind of bored, and or like, oh no, Ugh. and it's just like, this is this is good. That her face in this is just that's a really that would be a good gif. I'm sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very good painting. Um, so. I feel like I'm going to paint myself into a corner here. But ah, oh no. I didn't mean that as a pun. Oh, Stop but we'll it, take Kyle. it as one. Uh, 900... I'm going to click on color printing. 
Cool. Okay. I can get a print of this for ninety-two thirty-three. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah, it's a seven by ten, and it costs that much. Wow. I can hang it above my sofa. <laughs> to remind us of all the times that a dude well, has tried to say something to a woman and was like, mm. "Yeah, I like this." <laughs> I like I like how this like this art website it's like well, this is how big it would be. So for the <laughs> listener uh Sky is looking this image up on a on a website to see if he could get a print of it and it makes a little JavaScript uh image here so that it shows you kind of uh re- respectively what how large that image is compared to like a sofa. It's real tiny. <laughs> like it's, it's very small. It's a very Maybe large it's a sofa. really big couch. Like yeah. Oh man. Anyway, I just don't imagine couches as a standard size. So yeah, I'm not Here's sure how helpful size. that image is. Imagine, imagine, <laughs> imagine walking into a, <laughs> walking into somebody's uh, house and just seeing that. That's so good. It is very good. Hey, $312. Hey, um, Sky, I hope you forget about this painting before Christmas. I hope that <laughs> everyone's excited to join our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so that I can afford this painting to hang above my couch. I actually Sky need to figure out. Painting. Yes, I need to figure out what to put above, put above our couch. It's empty. Uh, you're clicking on color color printing. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I ended Drew. up. Drew. Drew Struzan uh, is an American artist known for more than a hundred for his more than 150 movie posters, which include films uh, such as Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, and the Star Wars film series. I've heard he of that. He has also painted album covers, collectibles, and book covers. Uh, wow. Yeah, you would think. On this entire page of all the things that he painted, they would talk, talk about, about the colors that he used. <laughs> well, not specifically the colors, but like his methods or something and link sure. those things. But they do not. No. Nah. Uh, anyway, this is I, I really enjoy. I mean, I don't know how much of this is actually real or how much is, is, is him like, you know, playing it up. But a counselor in, in his early career asked Struzan about his interest and told him he had a choice between fine art or illustration. Counselor described the two careers, telling Struzan that as a fine artist, he could paint what he wanted, but as an illustrator, he could paint for money. Struzan chose to be an illustrator, saying, I need to eat, that's cited. In his first year, he married and became a father. That seems young. I didn't... <laughs> first year. Yeah. <laughs> Tell Griff that, uh, you know, that he's uh, he's got to get a move on. Dang. Uh, Struzan worked his way through school by selling his artwork and accepting small commissions. He graduated in five years. Uh, and did some graduate studies um, about his career. Struzan said, uh, I was poor and hungry and illustration was the shortest path to a slice of bread as compared to a gallery opening. That is a great line. Yeah. I really want to use that. Um, I had nothing as a child. I drew on toilet paper with pencils. That's the only paper paper around. Probably why I love drawing so much today is because it was just all I had at the time. That is amazingly sad. All right. I got to get off this call and I got to go write the next hit Broadway musical uh-huh. called, called just Struzan. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's going to be really good. Yeah. uh, Someone get the Hamilton team on this stat. This is Uh, pretty much the Hamilton story from what I can tell. um, Yeah, it sounds like he uh, got a trip to an employment agency, found him a job as a staff artist for a design studio. Then he started doing album covers, uh, none of which are the Pink Floyd cover. Uh, wow. with the with that prism and the rainbow, which would have been great. That would have been good. Uh, <laughs> the next five years, you would create album cover artwork for a long line of musical artists, including the Tony, including Tony Orlando and Don, uh, the Beach Boys, the Bee Gees, Roy Orbison, Black Sabbath, Glenn Miller, Iron Butterfly, Bach, Earth, Wind and Fire, and Liberace. How is Pink Floyd not on there? <laughs> yeah. Um. Even oh wow. Uh, among these, Struzan uh, illustrated the album cover artwork for Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare, which uh, Rolling Stone voted one of the top 100 album covers of all time. Uh, oh, wow. And despite the demand for his talents, he was only on, still only earning 150 to $250 per album cover. What? Wow. That's cited. Artist, man. That's mm, so upsetting. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's really um, tough. Yeah, he got connected with a friend of his in, in the movie industry. Got started using some airbrushing equipment and and started really loving that. And that's what got him noticed. Um, in the early days, he did a lot of B movie uh, stuff, such as uh, Empire of Ants, Food of the Gods, and Squirm. Uh, and then he started picking up. Um, it was uh, well, it says here. It was his work done for a major science fiction movie that would establish him uh, in and his work in the public eye forever. Um, in 1977, fellow artist Charles White III, well known for his airbrush prowess, had been hired by uh, David Weitzer at 20th Century Fox to create a poster design for the 78 re-release of Star Wars. While a White, uncomfortable with portraiture, asked for asked Struzan for help on the project. And Struzan painted the human characters in oil paints and white focused on the ships. And uh, the unique the unique poster design, popularly called the circus poster, depicts what appears to be a torn posted bill from a plywood construction site wall. Uh, yeah, this is this is interesting. I've never yeah. I did not know that this was a specific uh, a specific poster. But here we are. Um. This is yeah, pretty cool. It does look like a. It does really look like a circus poster, though. That's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty different. Um, but then he that was a hit, and then he started doing work for things like Blade Runner, The Thing, Cannonball Run, uh, the Police Academy series, Back to the Future, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, the Muppet Movie. Hey, there's a rainbow in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coming to America, in First rainbow Blood. Connection. Isn't that in that movie? Don't they sing that in that movie? Am I misremembering? Rainbow Connection. Is that the Muppet movie? Which Muppet movie, though? I think that's just the... Isn't that just the Muppet Muppet show? No, it is in the Muppet Muppet movie. movie. That's how it starts. Well, that's what I'm clicking then. All right. Uh, But then also, uh, First Blood, Risky Business, Decent Cap, Stroke Race, Batteries, and I included American Tale. He painted for the American Tale and the Goonies. Wow. Uh, And then, uh, yeah... That that's pretty cool, and he also did a bunch of. Um, let's see. Oh no! In the 1990s, with the advent of computers and digital manipulation of images, 
they can just say Photoshop. Uh, Struzan was affected by the decline of traditionally illustrated poster art. That's sad. Uh, but he did end up doing other work for, oh yeah, for films such as Hook, Hellboy, and the, and the American poster for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That's amazing. Yeah, he really has a career. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, getting so many slices of bread. <laughs> I hope so. Ugh. He seems like a neat. He seems like a neat person. You doing um, a Muppet movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm clicking the Muppet movie. Sorry. All right. See you later, Drew. Sounds like bye, a Drew. Choice. Thanks. Tim. Oh, he he lives. He lives. Uh, he lives in in California currently. Uh, has a son named Christian, and since retiring from work in 2008, spends much of his time caring for his grandchildren. Aww. That's cited. Sorry. Go on. You better be cited. Um, color printing <laughs> is when you want to print something in color. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Any natural scene or color photograph can be optically and physiologically dissected into three primary colors, which are... Red. Uh, sorry, Red. you mean that uh, <laughs> you're talking... Which, which, wait, what did you want the three primary printing colors? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's... Um, magenta, cyan, and yellow. Those are the secondary colors. Oh, come on! Yep. The primaries are red, green, and blue. <laughs> I've got them yeah. in front of me, so I'm not just going to yep. be like, I did. I knew, I know them. I did it! I'm yeah. reading along. <laughs> Which always throws me for a loop, because I always imagine the, the primary colors is red, yellow, and blue. Yeah, no. And that's primary in a different uh, topic. Colors are hard. Yeah, colors, colors are tough, hard. Guys. Artists should get paid more. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> they gotta keep all things straight. Uh, but yeah, you were you were correct about uh, magenta, yellow, and cyan for secondary colors. Red and green makes yellow, which just does not make sense in my mind. And even in here, it says yellow is counterintuitive. Yeah, yellow is counterintuitive. Uh, red and blue will make magenta, which makes sense, and green and blue will make cyan, which makes sense. Just the whole concept of yellow is just like, why? Mm-hmm. What? So counterintuitive. Um, so yeah, color printing. Uh, you can you can do stuff with blocks. Yeah, get some you color on blocks and hit do them on stuff paper. With lithographs. Yeah, we talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they have on here the first widely reproduced image printed using the three color process. So the red, green, blue. And it looks like something that would be on the uh, 70s dinner party Twitter feed. <laughs> ah, yes. It is It is a My very unappetizing dish. looking group of fruits. The Natter Farbendruck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, what is that thing in the middle? Is that a peach? Is that I a piece of bread? It looks moldy. <laughs> it looks bad. It's... Yeah. I... That looks like Is that like a, a banana? <laughs> <laughs> I like the one grape that has apparently fallen from the bunch up top. It escaped. Like, yeah, it did. It's a, it's oh, my goodness. What color were the grapes in Grape Escape? Uh, uh. Screening is one of my favorite forms of printing because you can put it on a T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. The measure of how much ink... How much an ink dot spreads and becomes larger on paper is called dot gain. Hmm. Got to get them gains for w- dots. www.screening.gain. 
Um, see here, dot gain is higher on more absorbent, uncoated paper stocks such as newsprint. Makes so, if you ever been working with like uh, permanent markers on the couch and uh, you start to freak out because you realize it's bleeding through the paper and potentially going <laughs> on your couch? No, did this happen to to a very young Tim? It might have. <laughs> um, luckily, you Oops. came out, so that was good. <laughs> Uh, there's there's probably a lesson about that oh, no. in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, hey, there's uh, intaglio again. Uh, a method using an intaglio line plate printed in black or dark color. It's still, what is it? I'm just, I'm not going to go through this. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, okay. I'm so sure it's, Stephen's sitting right here. I'm sure I could ask him, but I'm not so going it's, to. So it's like a plate with grooves in it. Ooh. Yeah. And you, uh, you fill the, the grooves with cut ink. into it. Yeah. Same. And then place paper over it and Same. roll over it, and it's little pools of ink will transfer to the paper. So that's how Blue. that works. Uh, so I am going to. I believe I'm going to click on primary colors. Primary colors. Yes. Primary colors. You guys are getting close, I feel like. It's head to head. Oh, are we? Uh, I, so the Muppet movie is Muppet a 1979 movie. musical road comedy film and the first theatrical film st- featuring the Muppets. Uh, directed by James Frawley and produced by Jim Henson, the film's screenplay was conceived by the Muppet show writers Jerry Jewell and Jack Burns. Uh, and let's see. There's... Uh, um, the second... Uh, whoa, what? Uh, an American and British venture produced by Henson and, and Associates uh, between the first half and second half of the Muppet Show's third season. Wait, this was an inner season like gig between what? the between the shows. Like apparently, they did. They had the show. Frogs got to eat, and then they were like, "Look, we're gonna do this this extra thing, and then it's gonna lead into season three. Hmm. Oh, I you, oh, so you're thinking it's like canon, like in the fiction of it's, between the seasons. I mean, specifically, it does kind of say that. Like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, it is. Uh, I, yeah, maybe. It's possible. I was in season three, they're like, what a great road trip we had. <laughs> <laughs> this just started the, of the third season. It's literally when they walk in. Um. You just have Ralph like, ah, what a great road trip. Anyway. Best character in the show, sorry. Uh, The Muppet Movie movie was released uh, and received critical praise, including two Academy Award nominations for Paul Williams and Kenneth Kenneth Asher's musical score in their song Rainbow Connection. In 2009, the film was deemed, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, end quote, by the Library of of Congress. Which is it, Library of Congress? Nope, they can't say. They can't say because that would have to. You'd have to make a judgment about it then. Yeah. They say, "Hey, look um, over there," and they run away. <laughs> the entire library does. Um, no, it can't be though. Beca- it can't be like canon because, like, uh, the plot according to this is Kermit living in a Florida swamp, dreaming of being a movie star. Yeah. Although he could be, I get, but he's approached by by Bernie, a talent agent. <laughs> Who can encourage Kermit to pursue a career in showbiz? Uh, I mean, yeah, is it, this a situation where, like, in the 
in the narrative of the show, Kermit oh. is acting in this movie because he's an entertainer. Yeah. And the movie's about him living wow. in Florida. Oh my uh this is going deeper than I ex- okay. Yeah. Possibly. Maybe. Uh I wanna listen, put it past the Muppets. Uh mm-hmm. listen, I, I I don't I mean <sighs> they've got a lot of stuff in here. I don't want to really go into the cameos, but there's a bunch of them, uh, wow, including yeah. uh, Madeline Kahn, which oh, that just makes me happy that she was she was in there. Um, Milton Berle uh, as a as a uh, a used car salesman, which is pretty good. Um, Bob Hope, Richard Pryor. Oh, I, I forgot about Richard Pryor being in there. Uh, Mel Brooks, Cloris Leachman. Oh, and Orson Welles. As a Hollywood producer and studio executive, ha ha ha, Mr. Lou Lord, yeah. Um. All right. Wait. Uh. Let's see. For the production. Oh man, they have a little specific thing about how Kermit was uh, operated on the log, as you know, for the oh, rainbow yeah. connection. Uh-huh. To perform Kermit static on a log. Henson squeezed into a specially designed metal container complete with an air hose to breathe, a rubber sleeve which came out of the top to perform Kermit, and a monitor to see his performance. And he placed himself under the water, the log, and the Kermit puppet. (laughs) This scene took five days to film, according to this. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Before, Before this, no film had a hand puppet act with its entire body appearing on screen. Holy we, we should just make CGI illegal. <laughs> or like, no, you don't get an award for this. You don't get yeah. an award. Like, Jim Henson was in a metal container underwater for five days. <laughs> the closing reprise of Rainbow Connection fe- featured a crowd of more than 250 Muppet characters. Uh, virtually every Muppet had been created up to that point in time. Wow. Um, according to Henson archivist uh, Karen, uh, Karen Falk, 137 puppeteers were enlisted in, from the Puppeteers of America, which is a real group, according to this, <laughs> along with the regular Muppet performers to perform every Muppet extant. Uh, prior to the day-long filming of the shot, Henson gave the enthusiastic participants a lesson in the art of cinematic puppetry. Amazingly, it did take just one day. Wow. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, the Muppet Show fan club newsletter answered the question of how did they do it? which there was a Muppet Show fan club newsletter. Um, the response was, there are 250 puppets in the last shot of the film with 150 puppeteers in six foot deep, in a six foot deep, 17 foot wide pit. That's amazing. That is wild. Huh. Anyway, uh, they, they re- referenced the, of course, linked the Rainbow Connection yeah. uh, early on. And I'm clicking that. Rainbow Connection is not a song I had any connection with ha, 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 until uh, Griffin was born and Candace sings it to him as a lullaby. And now I sing it to him as a lullaby. Aw, that's But I sweet. try to do it in Kermit's voice and he just thinks that's funny. Well, <laughs> it does I mean, It does the opposite of what it's supposed to. As you do with as, as a dad, I think that's important. Anyway. Yep. Uh, great. Primary Colors. You know him. You love him. We all see him. <laughs> so I, I thought I thought it'd come here and have some fun stuff about. Hey, isn't it crazy that this, he's got red, green, blue over here, and red, blue, and yellow over here? 
Uh-huh. This is so complicated, dudes. <laughs> colors hard. A, a set, I'll, I'm just going to read some of this. A set of primary colors is, most tangibly, a set of real colorants or colored lights that can be combined in varying amounts to produce a gamut, which is linked, of colors. This is the essential method used in applications that are intended to elicit the perception of diverse sets of color, e.g. electronic displays, color printing, and paintings. Perceptions associated with a given combination of primary colors are predicted by applying the appropriate mixing model, additive, subtractive, additive averaging, that embodies the underlying physics of how light interacts with the media and ultimately the retina. Okay, fair enough. Sounds okay. Moving on. Primary colors can also be conceptual. Either as additive mathematical elements of a color (laughs) space, or as irreducible... Phenomenological categories and domains such as psychology and philosophy. Colors can be ideas. <laughs> Color space primaries are precisely defined and empirically rooted in psychophysical color matching experiments, which are no. foundational for understanding color vision. Primaries of some color spaces are complete, that is, all visible colors are described in terms of their weighted sums with one with none negative weights. But necessarily imaginary. That is, there is no plausible way that those primary colors could be represented physically or perceived. What? What? <laughs> what? Colors can, be, colors can be everything and nothing. Yep. Phenomenological accounts of primary colors, such as the psychological primaries, have been used as no. the conceptual basis for practical color applications, even though they are not a quantitative description in and of themselves. Guys, I don't what? think colors actually exist. How do no. I mark a article for bullshit? Like, what, <laughs> what is this even happening? Um, is this just all vandalism? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see here. Psychological primaries has its own little section. The opponent process is a color theory that states that the human visual system interprets information about color by processing signals from cones and rods in an antagonistic manner. The theory states that every color can be described as a mix along the three axes of red versus green, blue versus yellow, and white versus black. That's kind of cool. So it's kind of like three sliding scales. Which is, Um, and part of that is for the the way that that that, uh, visual gag works where you stare at a color long enough and then you look at a white wall and it's the opposite color, etc., etc. Yeah, right. Overcompensating everything. So after all of this, I'm going to click on color. Just Just the concept of color, color, Tim. Tim. (laughs) It's very, (sighs) I'm I'm going deeper into that psychological hole. I'm not even sure if I clicked on something that exists, Kyle. Is Spectrum on there? I'm shook. I clicked on color space, and there's a graph here that's something like an eldritch horror that I can't describe. <laughs> and I look, and I have to not look at it. Stop straight looking on at it because I don't understand it. There is, is this. <laughs> there's a word on here that's it's just swoop, swap. It's S W O P. It's just like here's here's the here's the swap here's the swoop swap triangle. Here's the swap. Oh my god. This is hurting me. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna get, uh, you're gonna hit you with the swap, I guess. Swap, swap. 
<laughs> you know, I'm like, no, I'm not going to get it. No. I'm very confused, but all right. So anyway, uh, Rainbow uh, Connection, it's a song. Uh, we already about heard what? about it a bunch. Um, it received an Academy Award <laughs> <Drugs>. nomination. <laughs> it's about- What's that? <laughs> Tim asked what it's about. Oh, yeah, totally drugs. No. Um, no. Um, it's about love. Uh, something, something. Something being uh, out, you know. You know, they're they're talking a, about... Something being out there. Something's a rainbow. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently the, the whole idea came along when these two songwriters who had collaborated on something else were asking uh, Henson about what, it sh- what Kermit's song, what, it, what his feature song should be about. And I guess as they, um, like later in the day, they were talking about it. Uh, as they sat down for dinner with Williams' then wife, Kate Clinton, they explained the predic- predicament of looking for a phrase that would provide a rainbow connection. Then realized in the course of explaining <laughs> the problem to her that the phrase rainbow connection itself was a good fit. Hmm. So it, I feel like it's just one of those things where they kept saying it over and over. <laughs> And you say it say it enough, and it just loses meaning. It can mean anything. It can be like any color. Uh, okay, so um, here's how here's how it was critically received. This is a quote uh, from a from uh, it looks like a website called All Music uh, described the Rainbow Connection as an unlikely radio hit in which. Kermit the Frog sings with all the dreamy wistfulness of a short green Judy Garland. What? Hmm. Yep. Uh, it, and uh, yeah, so that's that's that. Uh, they do talk <sighs> about how it kind of connects with Over the Rainbow uh, in The Wizard of Oz there. And oh. I'm going to click, because Rainbow itself, not linked on this page. I can't believe it. Any of the times. Uh, I'm going to be clicking on Over the Rainbow. However, before I do that, I would like to mention uh, that in 1996, in New Zealand, um, here's the entire article from CNN. Apparently, it's easier being green than it is hearing Kermit the Frog sing. A man demanding to hear the Muppet song, The Rainbow Connection, burst into a radio station in New Zealand in the city of Wangui on Friday and took the manager hostage. According to the New Zealand Press Association, the 21-year-old man, who was not identified, also demanded that he be allowed to talk to the listeners on the air of Starfam or threatened to detonate a bomb. Uh, before, police, uh, before Kermit croaked out his first note, the police stormed the station and arrested the man. The bomb was fake. Um, the man was charged with kidnapping. He wanted to hear that song so badly that he took a radio That's station wild. hostage. It's a real thing that happened. Anyway. Couldn't he just called in? Uh, maybe they didn't take his calls anymore. Who knows? Oof. Yeah, I'm clicking over the rainbow. So, Tim, you're you're on color. Yeah, but before that, I wanted to share with you, because uh, I was listening to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on podcast today, and they talked about the ugliest color in the world. Oh, Yeah. And it is largely considered to be Pantone 448C. Why is this a Wikipedia page? Because it's the <laughs> ugliest amazing. color in the world, Kyle. According to some people in a look, a every citation so on ugly, this page. Countries use it for the packaging of cigarettes to get people to not smoke. So, 
I, Tim, I would like to point out yes. that even though people are saying this is the ugliest color in the world, every, like, well, no, two of the references, three of the references on this page use the wrong color when they're, it says, yeah, the image there shows the wrong color when it's saying this is the ugliest color. So obviously there's some misinformation. Have, what are you even or, talking about? It, look down at the references. Uh, the different newspaper articles that they link to, to to say this is definitively the world's ugliest color, use the wrong color. And apparently no one says anything. I clicked on the Pantone 448C Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. And in the references, uh, reference number four, three, four, and five. Uh, the image there erroneously shows this hex code rather than this hex code. So Kyle, Kyle, uh, what were the new? Were they showing fake hues? I'm so proud right now. <laughs> I, oh my gosh, <laughs> are you crying? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right, but if you guys really want to look at it, look up 448C uh, as Pantone. It is. I'm. I'm actually consider myself a general fan of the color brown. <laughs> I find it. I find it a um, an intellectual kind of color. But this is oh not gosh. a good shade of brown. It is not. I agree with you on this. On this, we agree. Yes, that's not uh, a good shade of brown. So anyway, color is when light hits your eyes and your brain is like, <laughs> that's a color. Like a big supply. <laughs> uh, and that's pretty much all I want to go into on that, because I think we've talked about color and how confusing it is. However, there is an image in here that's really cool. Uh, <laughs> there is an image here that, when viewed at full size, contains about 16 million pixels. And each pixel <laughs> is a different color on, a, on like the spectrum. I mean, it's basically one of those, like... When you're selecting a color on a computer in like MS Paint and you sort of drag the little circle around the color you want, it's basically that. But just the thought that there might be like 16 million different hues in there is pretty rad. Um, uh, oh, synesthesia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Perceiving letters and numbers or hearing musical sounds will lead to the unusual addition, ex additional experiences of seeing colors. Uh, but what if they're... What if they're not real? Do you, if you're looking at primary colors that aren't real, do you come up with numbers that are not real? <laughs> you just get a hex code. Mm -hmm. It's weird. <laughs> okay. Just get an error. Um, color naming. Oh, that's a good. Colors vary in several different ways, including hue, duh, saturation, brightness, and gloss. Some color words are derived from the name of an object of that color. Such as orange. Most color words are. So I mean, wait, like, did did the fruit come before the color? Uh, Tim, yes and no. Uh, it's a really weird thing because like it has to do with when Europe discovered that oranges exist. I mean, but they they knew the color orange existed before that, right? Because there's other things that are orange. I mean, or were there not there was... until they saw oranges? I, I assume there was a different color word for it. The sun or is kind of orange, like right? yellow, Or like red-yellow or something. 
I, I don't know specifically, but um, I do know that I do know that it has to do with the timing of when that color, when oranges happened, like when they were found by uh, Europeans, right. even though the rest of the world had known about them. Uh, the other example they use here is salmon. And then they say <laughs> that other colors are abstract, like red. Which, I mean, yeah. I, I bet if we go far back, back far enough in the name of the, in the word for that color, it, that's not true. Well, potentially, yeah, maybe. Um, but I don't know because they don't go into it deeper here. Uh, no, not they a deep, do, it's not however, a deep red. mention the word rainbow. Uh, the familiar no. colors oh, of the no. rainbow in the spectrum named using the Latin word for appearance or apparition by Isaac Newton in 1671 include all those colors that can be produced by visible light of a single wavelength only. Uh, and wow. rainbow is linked. Dang. I made it to the rainbow. Well done, Tim. Thank you. Is Sky still even there? I feel like we lost him again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's shown up on the call. Yeah, he's he's here, quote unquote. Yeah. Well, uh, I, we can't end it, though, since he's the host. He's the host! So we what are do we do? trapped. <laughs> it's a loop. Yeah. I mean, um, if we wait two weeks... Uh, I think I'll be the host, <laughs> and then I'll have the power to close it, it down. Um, yeah. So I hope I hope you uh, went grocery shopping recently, because uh, yeah. we're in this for the long haul, my friend. <laughs> um, yeah, we're gonna we're just gonna go back through. Uh, you know, we can just talk about. I can just give you a play by play of the. We can talk through the Godzilla movie, like. Oh yeah, that's right. We can just continuously do that. We are just creating a new a new podcast now because I mean we can't turn off this current one. We actually do that pretty regularly whenever Sky has something interrupt him, though. Like that's that's, that's classic WSKB. Not being able to end the podcast mm-hmm. while Sky is out somewhere. And you and me just riffing for, mm-hmm. for about five minutes ish. Yep. Uh um so, so- yes, this I, I, I want to go back to this ugliest color of the world, though, because I like the fact that uh, on the bottom of this page, this is a series on shades of brown. Yeah. I did not know. Like, I didn't know this was a thing that existed on Wikipedia. Like, this is what they're using our $3 for, Tim. <laughs> to get slightly Suckers, different we're just shades. creating shades of brown slightly different shades of brown but like some of them are just okay yeah you've got auburn and almond and such but then there's like yeah beast and and bull or bole i i assume mm-hmm. and then just here just buff is one like that seems I don't, and then citron is here and i don't think of that as a shade of brown that's yellow yeah it's true Mm. Um, I feel, but I mean, again, colors can be concepts, so. Uh, I guess we can talk a little bit about rainbows, too. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh said rainbows can be full circles. However, the observer normally sees only an arc formed by illuminated droplets above the ground and centered on a line from the sun to the observer's eye. So I think what they're really saying is that you're only seeing the upper half of the circle that's above 
the uh, side of the flat earth that we're on. Right. And the underside, right. uh, the people there, because there are people on the underside. I mean, Clearly. that just makes sense. It's, it's, it's a gravity yes. thing. They're seeing the other half of that rainbow. Uh, and that, my friend, is the rainbow connection. Oh, no. Yep. That when Tim, you are you looking think... at half of a rainbow, your flat earth underside counterpart. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that they're the underside. Yeah, maybe because, we're the underside. Because uh, we could be the underside. Uh, yeah. So let's say contraside. Ooh, I think whoa, that makes Tim. sense. Uh, your contraside counterpart is definitely 100% also seeing that rainbow at that time. You that's can amazing. be assured of that. Because so, that's the law of the rainbow connection. In this, in your theory, then, are or is the rainbow uh, the same color one to one, or is it transpose or flip or wow? What What do you think? Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be the same colors because you're making you're making rings, dude. <laughs> okay, all right. So, do you think that it like? Uh, okay, do you think that like because of uh, because of this like does it cut through the earth? No, or it's is it just, just... You're, you're showing... It's sort of, like, pressed up against the edge okay, all of right. the flat Earth. So, like, so you it's, know, like, stretched a little bit. Right. So you can't actually go, like, over the rainbow. You slip no, under that could... puppy and you fall off. Yeah, you'd fall off the off the Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not going to work. Of course, um, since, since this is a, a two-side thing now, mm-hmm. if you fall off the side of the Earth, you could very well run into someone falling off the contra side and just have a oh, collision. No. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't happen because you'd see people flying up uh, into the air <laughs> consistently. I uh, mean, it could, and you just don't see it. it I mean, because supposedly, like the ring at the edge of the edge of the world would be water. Oh yeah. So true. maybe it just like you just like whoop and then splashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then wouldn't yeah. like one side be too heavy because of the number of people that are on there? Like, if you get if it happened often enough, wouldn't it like flip the disc? Uh huh. Maybe. Dang. <laughs> this is dangerous, Tim. Yeah. Okay. This is man. <laughs> if, if, if the world knew. <laughs> um. Well, while while we're still waiting on Sky, <laughs> maybe. Maybe you could text him. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna see where he is. Um, I would like I'm I'm on the over the rainbow page. Um, and they have a list of uh, yeah, apparently like a bunch of other people made extra verses for it. Um, but like specifically, it's been used in a lot of different things, including. Which here here are the movies and TV shows that it set that it decides to list as the, as the properties that have used over the rainbow. Fifty first dates, Charmed, Cold hmm. Case, ER, Finding Forrester, Horizon, Life on Mars, Nine, Meet Joe Black, Scrubs, Snakes on a Plane, Son of the Mask. And the television series South Pacific. All right, then. Let's close this. Uh, do, do, do. Um...
I mean, I, I believe we we discussed rainbows thoroughly just now. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Did you actually read from the page itself, or did we just do that? Um, I read I read about the full circle part. Um, okay. It does say it's supposed to be a full circle, but you only see the stuff uh, formed by the droplets above the ground. Okay. And centered in a line from the sun to the observer's eyes. So I guess I guess technically, if you were in a different position, mm-hmm. uh, you would be able to see a full circle. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, I I think that's that's. I've always wondered what it would what it looks like as a full circle thing, but I it, it's sad, Tim, that like the the thing that I consider most whenever I think of that is like the like the full circle circle rainbow, is Mario sixty four. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's my that's my one reference to what that possibly looks like. <laughs> Um, but you know, we all grow up in different in different things. Yeah, let's see here. Oh, um, so if you if you were on a high building or in an aircraft, you might be able to see a circular rainbow. Oh, dang! A full circle. Wow. Um, and then it says it is also possible pr- to produce the full circle while standing on the ground. For example, by spraying <laughs> a water mist from a garden hose while facing away from the sun. Uh, oh, wow! A circular rainbow should not be confused with the glory. Which is much I'm smaller sorry, in what? diameter and is created by different optical processes. A glory. Which and let Tim, me click on glory. Tim. Yes. Is it a? It's not circular, is it? Yeah. Okay. Not gonna. We're just gonna leave that one. Oh. Gonna leave it right yeah. there. Okay. Uh, anyway. It's. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Um. That's. Why would someone do that? I um, don't know. Anyway, so we had a uh, so so Sky had a uh, uh, an so, you know a, a a an issue to to take care of, and so we are taking taking over for the rest of the episode. It is a this is a revolution. This is our episode now. <laughs> uh, do not adjust the 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 podcast, I suppose. Uh, so congratulations, Tim. I guess. Uh, since you won, do you do you want the do you want the reward for winning to be that you get to do the outro or that you make me do the outro? Um, I'll do the outro. Okay, go for it. Uh, thank you so much for listening to me win. Uh, <laughs> hey, <whoa>! in, our, <laughs> in our journey from board games to rainbow. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, please give us a review. We would appreciate that very much uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you. Uh, found this podcast uh, hopefully hopefully all the legal routes are still are mm. still open uh, you can also find us online at wskbcast.blogspot.com or check us out on facebook uh, just search for we should know better or uh, even drop us a line on our twitter handle at wskbcast uh, is there anything else uh, you wanted to mention kyle actually yes sure because uh, I went back uh, during our during our downtime to listen to read a little bit more through that that article from the Luck versus Skill and Backgammon, mm-hmm. um, and uh, this guy, oh man, Tim, so he's so not mad about uh, losing to less talent to quote unquote less talented people that he did that he wrote an entire article about it, um, because of the long long term view. Uh, he he says here because uh, he's playing he's playing backgammon online. He says uh, in this I just want to read this bit. 
Uh, the three-point match below, I played at a world-class level, meaning that in this particular match, I played at a level that any of the top players in the world would be delighted to play at. My opponent, however, played at an intermediate level. Uh, that's just above the beginner level, is what he specifies. And according to Snowy, given our skill levels of play, I should beat this person 93% of the time. So that means 7 out of 100 times I will lose to this a player of this caliber if I play at a world cast level, level, which I do often. But I lost. And it cost me money. <laughs> and in parens it says $20. <laughs> <laughs> I know lots of people who get upset, but not me. I know... <laughs> I know that I will get to play this player again many more times and because he won this match or because he won this match and I know that if there were no luck and he never won after a few losses we'd never see him again playing for $20. And that's the attitude we all need to have if you're going to compete at backgammon. So just to just to lay that out there his rule here is that you have to lose occasionally so that People who are bad at this game will come back and you can fleece them. Mm-hmm. That that That's what he's saying. You gotta be a backgammon sharp. But but he's not mad, Tim. Oh, he's, he's definitely, definitely not mad. You can tell he's, he's not mad. He's definitely not mad. Totally. In fact, he, he's laughing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the best I think the best route is just not being competitive at backgammon. Oh, but the best part of it, Tim is that he inter- he puts a, a screen cap of this thing that he does to, you know, figure out how that like this little this little algorithm that he uses to um to determine how well he played one and then uh how he should have performed. And it includes his screen name. Do you want to guess what his screen name is, Tim? Um for backgammon. I'm trying to think of something ideal here. Uh, back gam master flex. I wish it was. No, Tim. Uh, the person who was classed at or who was rated at world class play on this is is going by the nickname Dice Dancer. Just, just, no. just real good oh dice dancer is equal to world class on this on this image i'm just gonna try to copy this here and put this in our discord because it's very good but yeah dice dancer hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway uh i'm going to uh i guess well, you know what? Uh, being that this is being that this is Pride Month now, I think that uh, I should be the one to sign off to say because uh, to say that I'm gonna go. You know, uh, I'm gonna go follow my own rainbow connection <laughs> <laughs> out from this podcast. So good night. Word. <laughs>
Yeah. I mean, I'm still recording. Yeah, me too. Don't stop <laughs> recording. recording. Now he has that. Yep. Children and women now boarding. <laughs> what? <laughs> Tim, please tell me. Please tell me you've been like thinking of that for years. No. <laughs> that was that was an original. That was original uh I'm... spontaneous Tim joint. Thank you.